Welcome to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. So, Paul, you know what everyone says about us? We are incompetent and probably shouldn't have a podcast. Oh, for sure. Yeah, but there's the other thing. Uh, We're not as funny as we think we are, that no one should take our advice, and we're not particularly good looking. Yes, 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 all true. But I was thinking about how everyone says we're givers. <laughs> Us? <laughs> Why not? Why not? All right. all right. So in this case, we are going to serve some loyal listeners. And because we've gotten a handful of questions recently that asked basically what does Oak do? Okay. Oak generally just sits there. It's pretty, it's not very- To wine. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Okay, good. Yes, we can explain that. Yes. So we're going to get, we're in our incompetent, not all that funny, not good looking way. Good. Also today, (laughs) listeners ask if a flawed wine can make you sick, why an unoaked wine tasted buttery, and just what the heck is a claret? Exactly. Uh, Or claret is it's not pronounced, but lots of people want to call it that. Well, that's because it's- should it's, be pronounced yeah. that way. Uh, plus, our horrible wine writing has pulverized notes of effortless minerality. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can hardly uh, wait. And as usual, we are going to be making fun of wine snobs. And by the way, a couple of reminders. Yes, yes, still we're on Capital Public Radio, Sacramento's NPR station. Capital Public Radio recommends our podcast. They are kind, kind folks. Well, how much did you have to... Well, uh, never mind. It's... Oh. The things I have to do, Paul. I'm not talking. <laughs> We're also on uh, Napa Broadcasting. Out of Napa Valley College, yeah. the number one rated community college in California. Yeah, yeah. The place that, uh, and yet, and yet, and yet they have man- this yet. is how good Napa Valley College is. You teach there, and they, they managed to overcome all that. They, I teach there. They have the podcast on the air, and, and they still got that. Those rating. people are good. I'm telling you. <laughs> and we're available just about everywhere, including Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our handle is at Rick and Paul Wine. Go there. Ask us a question. You you can even do that anonymously it's if true. you if you don't want to be associated well, with us. We understand why you wouldn't want to be. Uh, so we have gotten a few questions lately that belong in the same barrel, Paul. Oh, no. Rick, I Rick, know. Rick, Rick. Uh, you said no puns ever. Yeah, I know. They're the worst kind of humor. All right. So uh, <laughs> one came from em- Emily in Vallejo, and she says, why does everyone use oak? Another came from George in Sacramento. And our new best Paul John in Farmington, Michigan, asked basically if he would explain more about what oak does. Okay. John, remember, if somebody has not heard the last episode, go back and listen, because this is the toughest human being on earth. He power listened to every episode. Episode of every season yeah, in about this is, three weeks. This directly goes against the Surgeon General's health warning. It, it, it absolutely does. We do not recommend that. John, if you're going to do that, mask up, please. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're going to answer everyone. See, Paul, I told you, we're givers. <laughs> so fundamentally, you know, oak barrels, the, the, the phrase you'll hear if you go on a wine, on a wine tour, you know, is a winemaker's spice box. And, right. and, and wine and oak has been uh, integrated partners really for two millennia. So we're going to give you a really quick history because uh, what is wine without history, Paul? Wine. Well, yeah. Okay. And what's history without wine? Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's what I say. Okay. And since we're talking history, you know what that means. Hit it, boys. You know, this isn't really an official history moment, but we do love the, our house band. Those ball. guys are good. Okay. So we're going to go back and take a really quick trip through time. Very quick. Uh, back a couple of millennia, when people in armies needed wine to travel because they couldn't drink standing water. That's right. If you didn't drink the, if you drank the water, you'd die. So let's drink wine. A, a philosophy still right. in practice it's, it's today. A, yes, I, it's, it is totally mine. 
So uh, Egyptians, they were using Egyptians, clay. Greeks, Babylonians all used what were called amphora, which are sort of- Fundamentally, if you had an in in the end of your, your <laughs> yeah. grouping- Greeks? Well, and, and, or a K and an S. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony, can't, is this the only guy you can find to sit in on this show with me? Okay. So, yeah, amphora, tall, sort of skinny. They look like clay bottles, but they had a pointed end. Yeah. And it was cool. pointy end down. Yes. And this is a very cool reason. Yes, because the pointy end, they would fill the ship holds with sand and they'd stick the pointy end into the sand and the amphora wouldn't move around in the ship. And remember, they really couldn't seal them well, so they, they couldn't have them rolling around. These days, we, we just use seat belts. Yes, that's true. Yes. In fact, it's a, it's a law now. You have to use a <laughs> three-part seat belt for your amphora. Um, <laughs> that's right. So moving, moving- But what changed, Rick? Well, the Romans invaded Gaul. Surely not. Yes, they did. Wow. Uh, that's before it was France. As Northern Europe, where they had trees- Yes. And uh, they That's had figured big, out- Big, tall, straight trees. Big, big, tall, straight trees. And they'd figured out that if you cut them apart and, and heated them- And put them back together again, you could you, make a barrel. You could make a barrel. And um, yeah. and if you heated them, they would sort of blend in with each other. They, they would, because they would heat, you know, bend, expand, all kinds of stuff. And they would hammer them together and put bands around them, all kinds of things. Um, and so it was much lighter. Yes. And much and easier to work with. They didn't break. They didn't break, right. so you can Actually, use it again. You, if you drop a barrel, a wine barrel, you can drop it a foot and it'll kind of bounce. If you drop an amphora a foot, you better drink fast. Yeah. So uh, the Romans loved this because it was much lighter, easier to travel, easier to invade other people. And they began to understand eventually. It took them a long time. Yeah, but it also made the wine taste Archaeologists hate barrels. Yeah. Because, you know, so those amphora, amphora, you can dig them up 2,000 years later out of the bottom of the sea, and they're still there. And some of them still have, like, olive pits in them and stuff. Barrels, 100 years, there's you don't even know they were there. If the Romans cared about their legacy. See, if, nobody if knows about really Rome because of this. they really cared about archaeology. That's, That's right. right. If they cared, they would have, they would have used this. <laughs> so we're going to fast forward now to uh, the year 1285. Okay. Uh, we're still in France, though. This is Philippe I. Uh-huh. He, he nationalized France's forests. That was for na- for national defense because back then they needed tall, straight trees for ships. Yes. But it also created a huge, a, a very good supply um, for oak barrels. And yes. today, 25% of France, by the way, is that we're talking 35 yes. million acres. Although the, many of those forests. trees were cut down by Napoleon and used for ships. And then he had to replant all those yes. forests. Yes, absolutely. Uh, yep. So in, in any case, uh for lots of reasons, including species, how they're grown, and how they're made, and because, as you say, they're French, yeah, oak barrels are a little on the pricey side, Paul. Well, you know, I was just thinking that we've gone all this way explaining barrels, and we have yet to say what they actually do to the wine. Well, we're going to tell you in just a second. Are we? I just want to say that French barrels are really expensive. They are, but they're French. So, what do you well, what, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because when you go to a winery and they say we uh, use French oak, yeah, what they're telling you is we 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 care. We spent more money than the guy next door. Yes. And, Although and, I will tell you that in a blind tasting, especially depending on how the barrels are made and who makes them, it is often difficult to be absolutely sure where the barrels came from. Well, sure. And and right and and, and and there are barrels that come from all sorts of places: American oak, uh, Missouri, uh, Minnesota. But in Europe, you can get barrels from French oak. You can get different forests in France have different characteristics. Hungary, you can get Slovakian, Slovenian, Slavonian oak. I mean, Rick, you can go hog wild on oak. So you can get oaks with I A N in them. Absolutely. See, see, how, see? The, see yeah. how history. Although you cannot itself? get, I don't believe you can get Babylonian oak anymore. Yeah, or oak that starts it ends in K S. <laughs> well, actually, oaks ends yes, in K S. Right. Sort of true. All right. So <laughs> sort of. <laughs> 
I use language anyway that works for me. <laughs> so, so, uh, so oak affects wine a handful of ways, but fundamentally, there's two, and we're going to talk two about basic ways. Yeah, we're going to talk about the spice box in a minute. But really, the first one is what it does to sort of texture of the oak, and it's eight. Both it's when wine is aged in oak, it's often fermented, and then or sometimes fermented, often aged in oak. Yes, and what it does is it. In a very gentle way, it aerates it a bit, but it also imparts uh, flavor, flavor, and, and aroma, and, ta- and a little bit of tannin, and so- it rounds it out. So you put wine in a barrel, and depending on how new the barrel is, you may or may not get a lot of this flavor. So aromatics, vanilla, cinnamon, sometimes even dill pickle, different flavors from the oak come into the wine. And then, as you mentioned, the slow oxidation. Remember last show we were talking about decanting your wine to give it a little more air. It helps with the maturation of the wine to give it a little air. And oak barrels are not perfectly airtight. They breathe a little bit. In fact, some of the wine disappears each year, and it's called... Is that would that be evaporation? No, no it's called, it's called the the angel, angel share. That's right, because evaporation is the way scientists talk about it. We're romantic. Oh, that's right. So then got, my angels are beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony, you got to get me somebody else. So, putting boke in a barrel, if it is if it is a new barrel, you get lots of flavor extraction. You can extract, as you say, some tannins. And then older barrels, less so. And by the time they're about four years old, you really only get oxidation, almost no flavor or aroma. So, winemakers use different kinds of oak. And different, different toasts. And this different is the spice toasts, box part, too. Yes. So, so you can order your barrels toasted just the way you order your English muffins toasted. Yes, although don't put jam on your barrel because it makes it kind of no, slippery. Unless you're trying to make Zinfandel. Yes, <laughs> that's right. So often you'll see that, actually, if you look, you know, you're going on a wine tour and you see LT or MT on the side of the bag. Or medium light toast. toast. Yeah, yeah, medium toast or yeah, HT. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and what that does is it can be that then changes it really literally changes the spice box it changes, changes the spice the flavor of the oak yeah and it could be anything in the darker toast uh, even to coffee or chocolate right exactly right yeah. coffee chocolate and the lighter will be more spicy uh, down and that direction yeah. too so it is um, it has, they have been uh, connected as we said for for two thousand years um, and and they really are an absolute intricate part of the winemaking experience and it does. I, I thinking about a critic that we make fun of often once saying how a wine was uh, aged, uh, finished in steel to tighten it up, which is, of course, <laughs> impossible because it's not that the steel has any impact on the wine. <laughs> it's that the oak is what it has impact. And all right. it did was end up end oak's stop, impact. Stop the impact. Of yes. The oak, so, so it's yeah. sort of, it sort of softens, sort of allows it to age, adds some spice. Yeah. And. A lot of winemakers will use a big different collection of things. Other winemakers say, all of my wine goes into this oak because I like it the best. And most winemakers use a combination because they're afraid of, once, once you've aged a wine in oak, there's no way to take the oak flavor back out of the wine. So if you overdo it. You can take the wine out of the oak, but you can't take the oak out exactly of the wine. Exactly right. And that's yes. okay from Oklahoma. Oh, no. All right. And last and quick thing is there's, <laughs> there's more for, for a lot of wineries. And actually what we're talking about is we're talking about expensive wine. Um, a yes. lot of the, a lot of the less expensive wines that, that you can find in the lower end of the supermarket kind of wines. And there's nothing wrong with this, but they use what's called oak treatments. Um, right. And it could be anything from putting chips of oak or even small bean shaped pieces of oak. 
um, in giant mesh tea bags, and they right. float it in just like right. a tea bag. So they're getting the same extraction of the oak aromas and flavors from the barrels that you would get from the barrels, but they're not getting the oxidation. And then, of course, to get the oxidation, they actually put a little bubbler in the bottom of the tank and bubble oxygen mm. through the tank, too, and all of it's... And there's and there's other ways of doing it, too. Sometimes it's a, a very popular one is, is an oak stave. It's a little curly. Yes. And sometimes you just throw, throw a plank, just yes. put it in there, or toss they get, it in the wine. Or they walk the plank. Yeah, and you'll notice like a lot of home winemakers, for example, will use those curly staves or, or yep. a simple oak plank because it's yep. much less expensive. So um, wine today depends on oak. And you some know, of it, and, and some some wines never. Well, let go me say, wine it. would be very different without oak. Let's just put it yes, that way. Absolutely, one different. of the major technical technological changes in the history of wine was when they went to oak barrels. And by the way, not just oak. Some winemakers are experimenting with acacia wood, uh, all sorts of different flavors of wood, cherry wood. Yeah. So I think we actually sort of answered a question, Paul. So you know what that means? It's time to do something we're, else. We're good. No, we take a couple more questions. Oh my God! You pressing our no, luck? No, we are. We're on a roll. <laughs> we're on a roll, and we're I, on an English muffin. I, as well. <laughs> I say. All right. So this one came from Michael, uh, who listed okay. his city as Napa slash San Francisco. Okay. So um, he uh, is clearly a commuter. Yes. Okay. Of one sort. Yes. I hope he's I, uh, Yeah. I love this question, by the yes. way. He says uh, his small home cellar is mostly Napa Valley Cabernet. Yep. Uh, uh, because they don't drink, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing now, they don't, they, uh, they don't drink them so much so they end up in the cellar. Right. Says now they rarely drink big red wines, even though they bought a lot of them. Yep. Says now, and this is uh, Michael not talking now, my wife and I prefer Pinot Noir, Syrah, Sauvignon Blanc, some Chardonnay, Sancerre, Bandol. Wines that complement our meal. So there's a guy who likes food and wine together. We also prefer lower alcohol wines so we can drink more of it. Uh, mm-hmm. And so our cellar is full of wines we don't drink, and we tend not to age the wines we do drink. So my question is, are we blazing new trails in this general trend, or are we just following the herd subconsciously? He also said, I'm going to throw this in because this is actually really interesting. Good, good thing for – it's nice to hear. We like discovering new wines. I think I'm greatly influenced by the stories that give us personal connection with the winemakers' philosophies. I think there are a lot of – Places of great wines yet to be discovered with vineyards in places like Sierra Foothills, Santa Cruz, Carmel, Big Sur. And these are wines we're he excited about. He just likes about. to go to beautiful places. Yeah. Well, that too. And well, then he drinks wine when he gets there. Although, although as you've heard me say before, I think uh, wine, one of the great things about the wine world is they are almost default beautiful places. Beautiful they have vineyards, places to visit you know? anyway, yeah. So, But yeah. this notion about blazing new trails, yeah, and, and it, it, good for you. And, and what's really cool, Michael, is that you're finding this – you guys are finding it on your own. So, well, But I want to get to his earlier question. And this is very funny because a dear friend of mine for years was one of the most important winemakers in the Napa Valley. And we were talking about wine cellars once. And he turned to me and he said, Paul, he said, my entire wine cellar is full of wines I don't like. Yeah. And I said, why is that? And he said, because when people give me a bottle of wine and it's good and I want to drink it and I drink it right then. He says, if it's no good, I think I'll put it in the cellar. Now, he says, my cellar's full, and it's full of wines I didn't want to drink to begin with. Yeah, and I think— And, 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 and to a certain extent, Michael's kind of—that's where he's going Oh, I this. suspect this is not uncommon, really. I mean, look, I love Nap Valley Caps. I love them. Yes. Um, you know, but then so you start what to— what he's saying, Michael, is— it, No, but then you start to discover all these other wines that, yes. that go with other things, whether yes. it's how you eat, how you live. Yes. 
And then you start to go to that direction, but you've already bought a whole bunch of Napa Valley cabs. Well, and, and there's a third element to this, which is this stuff goes in stages. So you're really big into Napa Valley cabs, and then you get into a bunch of other stuff. There may come a time, just like really wide ties and lapels, where five, ten years from now, Michael, you're going to go in the cellar and say, you know, I'd open a couple of these. And you open up and you think, Wow. Now I remember why I fell in love yeah. with these wines. Although, although, Paul, those giant lapels you've been wearing, <laughs> there's no reason. They're not coming back. I, they keep telling me they're coming <laughs> back, nope. Rick. If it's, it's, nope, nope. That zoot suit is long gone. Uh, uh, in your neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're, but what's nice is that you're, this is, it's a really nice, fun progression in wine. And it, as we always say, there's no right or wrong way, but this right. is a nice way that you're, you know, you're finding different styles and wines that go with food and things that you like um, and there's actually you know American wine is sort of in in step with you because you know we are really since the late 80s, early 90s, just began to discover wine as a country, you know, as a culture. And a lot of folks really served wine in the late 1990s and early 2000s and a lot of big Napa cabs. Now they've been drinking wine for 20 years, 30 years, and they're trying other things. And this is where you go. Actually, some of them are sticking with the Napa cabs. And And some are doing that, too. And other people that are drinking the new wines. But uh, I guess the point I would make to you, Michael, is don't throw out those big cabs. Um, find people on your Christmas list who love them. They will treasure those older bottles. You may find five, ten years from now well, as you go back and start say. drinking yep. them that, gosh, there's a reason you fell in love with them to begin with. But you're absolutely right. To fill an entire cellar full of one kind of wine, yeah, you got to got to keep your options well, open. And, and plus, they're aging on you, too, so they're changing. Yes. So you might want yep. to, you might give a couple yep. of them a try when you as you go. And of course, the other thing is, as our diets change, as we move, generally we've moved to lighter and healthier foods. That plays into lighter styles well, of wine. Paul as well. says that because he can't eat food that needs to be chewed. <laughs> <laughs> what right. wine do you recommend, with Pap? <laughs> Okay. Okay. All right. Our next one is from G. Oh, no. We're going for more now? <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. We have one more. Person. One more. One more person will never speak to us again. <laughs> uh, this is from Janine in Granite Bay. She says, I saw Claret on a bottle. That's C-L-A-R-E-T. I'm saying, spelling that because, it, as Paul has pointed out, it should be Claret, but it's British. I saw on a bottle, and the wine shop guy said, oh, that's just a Bordeaux. Huh? And that means what? I bought it. So instead, I bought a Chardonnay. Which is a very funny reaction to that. Yeah. So in the good old days, Bordeaux, which makes wines from Cabernet and Merlot and big red wines, most of the wines in Bordeaux is red. They also make whites. But they used to make a lot of a very light colored, quick sell, almost almost as light as rose, a little darker than rose. And they sold it to the British, and the French called it Claret. And the British, with their Britishness. Natural natural ability with language immediately <laughs> called it claret. And claret then became a synonym for any wine, any red wine from Bordeaux, even though the French weren't using it for that. Yeah, and and in fact they the, the Brits actually came to really the big reds, the big reds out of Bordeaux was what they are now the, calling Yeah, yes, that's what they call claret. Right, right, right. Yeah. Right. So so fundamentally it is that French blend of Really, what that the wine shop person is probably think do is a, a Cabernet based red blend, right? But style. in fact, you yeah. will not see claret 
you will see Claret in Bordeaux. They make a tiny little bit of it. Yeah. But if it says Claret, it's almost certainly a New World wine. So even though he says, oh, that's just a Bordeaux, it's probably not a Bordeaux. Yeah. It's probably a California wine well, made from Bordeaux, Bordeaux style grapes. grapes. And that's what he probably, and really that's what he meant. And those grapes, those fundamental grapes are going to end up being the grapes that you will yes. know the most is Cabernet and Merlot. And by the way, and, and Cab the ending of Diamonds Are Forever with James Bond involves a misunderstanding of what Claret is. And you should see the movie just so you can chuckle about it. Okay. Because now well, you know the difference I'm, between I'm Claret and Bordeaux. And nothing about Jill St. John, huh? Okay. No. No, I won't see the movie for her. Um, all right. <laughs> That's it for questions for now. We will have more in just a bit. But when we're done with questions, you know what that means some really horrible wine writing. All right. Okay, Paul. Okay, so we're talking oak. I got a review that is almost completely about oak. Why you would do this, I don't know, but it's pretty funny. Here we go. None of that aggressive new American oak-infused vanilla and butterscotch notes here. And no brioche, toasty, buttery richness or baking spice influence. (laughs) (laughs) Don't tell me what's not in it. Tell me what's in it. Instead, the wine was aged in less intrusive French oak. No oak is particularly intrusive unless you overdo it, by the way. The wine is accented, not accentuated. Whatever that means. Yes. Yes. Whatever that means. It is dimensional, not layered. Okay. Whatever that means. The result is a tightened, tightly focused Chardonnay with a flinty, effortless minerality, my favorite word, refreshing acidity and an overlay of citrus fruit, well worth the $56 suggested price. Seems to me that for $56, you ought to get more of that oak than they're- Uh, I'm thinking I want the brioche toasty buttery riches for $56. (laughs) And, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Effortless minerality. Effortless so, so minerality. So the wine didn't have to work out no, or anything. Just it's tossed just was, a rock at you. Just yeah. naturally. Yep. Out this, it's, okay, so what have you got here? Uh, a bright, effusive no. A bright, effusive nose of pulverized limestone, <laughs> freshly Wait, zested. No, I, again, please. That was pulverized too good. limestone. An effusive nose of an pulverized. A, an effusive nose of pulverized. Was so, it made by a boxer? So that's a no. Right, no, well, it's a, a pulverized nose, but an effusive nose would be a nose that's. Uh, Excited and talking yes. uh, about its pulverized limestone, pulverized limestone. Uh, you, and, which of course is different from the whole limestone. <laughs> uh, uh, freshly zested and grated lime. Because <laughs> zesting, zesting and grating, yes, they're, they're the same thing. Yes. Yeah, and, and freshly crushed white flowers. Again, one of my favorite descriptors. Yes, because there's only one kind of white jasmine, flower. roses, no, camellias, camellias. Good to camellias know. don't smell. No, yes, that's right. Offers, offers a powerful start to this. <laughs> I would say yes. so. Life after and you've pulverized the limestone. Yes, life and pulsing and feel. The dry <laughs> medium to medium minus to medium <laughs> dear lord medium <laughs> minus to medium bodied palate bring a complex mix of earthy, spicy, and fruity elements. He's got animal, vegetable, and mineral all in the same review. It's a complex mix of everything with flavors of crunchy yellow apple, sliced lime, fresh chopped ginger, and tangy wet stone. (laughs) Tangy wet stone. (laughs) Because a lot of stones don't have that tang. So he's probably gone someplace where there's some real tangy stones. uh, And it's inside the tropics. The stones are a bit more tangy. Uh, Yes. uh, Okay. Just, uh, a textured and tangy, he likes the word, a textured tangy white plum skim note lingers to powdery fruit tones. Powdery in fruit powdery tones. powdery t- fruit tones. Boy. Dear Lord. No idea. I have no idea. No idea what he's talking about. I, yes. Um, wouldn't it be funny if this was a red wine? But no, of course it's not. <laughs> this is, uh, this Pulverized is, limestone. Yeah. Now, this is also Chardonnay, by the way. 
Good to know. Yeah, for what that's worth. Let's talk about something we like more. We are going to talk about wines we do like. I love you so. Well, I'm going to start with, again, just coming back from down under, tasting tons of wine down there. And one thing that I was just so impressed with, and they've sort of fallen out of favor in the States, is Australian Shiraz. They're some of the most delicious wines, red wines on the planet. I had wonderful ones from Henschke, from Hardee's, from Penfolds, but all of the big name producers and all a lot of the small name producers in Australia make beautiful, beautiful Shiraz, and we should be drinking more of it. Yeah, and poor, poor Australian Shiraz had gotten such a bad rap, you know, because yeah. of of this one style that Big Jamie. And, Big Jamie and cheap. Yeah, but it's there's so many it's more beautiful stuff. Yeah, and I I had some when I last time I was there. It was a few years ago, but um, yep, I just absolutely fell in love with the whole range of Australian. So so don't write them off. Uh, they're they're really lovely things. Mine, and I'm going to specific one is a Talbot Kelly Hart Chardonnay. By the way, it's Kelly if you see it in the store. K A L I. It's actually named after the owner's original owner's uh, daughter. Yeah, Kelly okay. Hart Chardonnay. It just hits all the buttons for Chard. Um, it's from the San Lucia Highlands, which is the ridge of mountains that runs uh, southeast out of the Monterey Bay area. And yes. that whole ridge is just a beautiful place for Chardonnay yeah. and Pinot Noir. East of Eden. East That's of Eden, exactly happens. right. That's, That's Salinas right. Valley. Yep. It's it's the western western yep. rim of the Salinas Valley. Yes, the soft, velvety green hills of the Santa Lucia Range yeah. and the brooding dark. W- and by the way, of- it is a really cool place is to see is to see the San Lucia Highlands up close because it is the you know when you it's like the sierra nevadas for anybody in california where the driving from the west they're the gradually gradual gradual and then the the east is very steep right and it's because those plates moving together pushed it all up and so this is the steep side of the um of this smaller mountain range Uh and it's really spectacular really spectacular to see Talking yeah. about wine, and he's talking plate tectonics. Well, folks. no, I'm talking beautiful green country. Um, <laughs> Kelly Hart Chardonnay, you'll see cool. it, and easy to find. Talbot, it's in that uh, maybe sixteen to eighteen dollar range. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. All right, uh, maybe we got uh, time for a few more questions here. If you'd like to okay. ask us a question, you go to ringpaulwine.com or Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Our handle is at ringpaulwine. This is from Janie in Modesto. I think it's from Janine in Modesto. It's, no, this was Janie. Janie? I remember this email. Oh, okay. I wrote it wrong on uh, I see. Yes, okay. It was, it was Janie. Sorry, Janie. Janie, she spelled your name wrong. I did. Just that extra N. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I just drop N's everywhere. <laughs> what am I going to do? Uh, all right. So she said, a while back, you guys talked about tasting the wine at a restaurant to see if it was bad or flawed. Can a flawed wine make you sick? Basically, Janie, No. Basically, the combination of the acidity in wine and the alcohol in wine pretty much prevents any human pathogens from living in the wine. Now, if you drink four bottles of it at a single sitting, a bad wine can make you sick, but so can a good wine. Yes. Although you probably wouldn't be able to drink all that bad wine, so you'd probably drink the good wine. So the good wine is more likely to make <laughs> more you dangerous. Sick. Yes, but yes. actually, no. There, there's, there are no real pathogens that can live in wine that will make you sick. They can make the wine taste bad, yeah. but they can't really hurt you. It is one of the things we talk about a lot, and you know, of course, there's always an exception. But that is one of the things about wine is that the alcohol level at, you know, it's. Even the lowest level of alcohol, which you might find like the Zin, I mean, a Riesling at 9% or something, still high enough to kill just about all those Well, and the, those Rieslings will have an acid level and that's acid higher level. than lemon right. juice. Those will so, kill yep. your teeth, but yep. that's another thing. Good. Um, but yes, so so you're okay. Don't, so the answer don't is no. We have yes. a good, solid, 
two-letter answer for no. Janine. Yes, no. It just took us two minutes to do it. Right. <laughs> this is from Drew in Monterey, speaking of uh, the San Jose Hunts. One of the wineries here has an un-oaked Chardonnay that was really buttery, which we love, by the way. How does that happen? I thought the buttery needed oak. Well, Rick, this is one of your favorite stories. Yes. Why don't you talk about diacetyl? Well, okay, I will. And uh, it, even though it's a funny word, a bad word, it actually is a funny story, which is that wine goes through something, most white wines, well, many white wines, go through something called malolactic fermentation. It's really not a fermentation. Don't worry about it. But what it does is it creates a byproduct. And the byproduct, well, two things. It, it makes the wine creamier. You know, he was going to try to make this simple. Makes the wine creamier. Okay. And it creates something called diacetyl. Diacetyl is the very same stuff that they put on your uh, movie popcorn. Movies. It's the stuff they put on. I can't. It's in. I can't believe it's not butter. So in <laughs> essence, that wine has genuine butter flavoring, as the side box of the popcorn says. Exactly. So that's right. why, and and it is entirely separate from oak. This is a always. This is a little unusual because often when they don't oak it, they also don't make it go through that process because right. they don't oak it to keep it a little fruitier and a little less rich. Right. Generally, when you add oak, you're looking for that richer, more powerful style, but, which comes with the butter. I. But you're right. In fact, I, Drew, I may be thinking of the wine that um, down in your area that because I know this wine well that is unoaked but very buttery, and I'm not going to say its name because we don't want them to sue us, Paul. Okay. Even though I like the wine. Good. Um, but yeah, uh, well, so that's, that's how it happens. That it's, would be reason for them to sue us. Yes. Right? Well, actually, most people just sue us because what the heck? It's on general <laughs> principles. They, they figure, you know, it's going to happen eventually. Just get it over with. <laughs> All right. So like, speaking of getting it over with, we've gotten over another round of bottle talk. With Rick and Paul. Our producer is Anthony Van Hook, who is over us for sure. Thank you, Anthony. And our associate producer is Jeremy Marin. Thanks to Capital Public Radio for the studio use and for including us on their podcast lineup. Recommended. Listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Ask us a question at Rick Paul Wine or all of the social. Our handle is Rick and Paul Wine. And if you learned anything today, we hope it's oak is a lot like bottle talk. Yeah. It has many valuable uses, Paul, and is a major player in wine. <laughs> yeah, just like us. <laughs> Plus, a lot of people can do without it. That is tragically true for us. <laughs> I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. And remember, the best wines are the wines you drink with friends. Or with us. Especially us. Especially us.